I was telling them in the early service that I thought maybe what I should do is after I heard Tim Miller sing, I should just get up, do a benediction, and we'd all go to brunch. <laughs> I can't do any better than that. Have any of you remember those Southwest Airlines commercials with the tagline, you got to get away? Like the one where the lady was in the airport restroom and she's doing her makeup and then she looks over and realizes there's a man walking up to the sink and she's actually in the men's restroom. And it says, you want to get away. You ought to get away. Well, that's, that's sort of the way my life was uh, nine years ago. I walked into my office in Chicago on a snowy morning. I was the first one in. I kind of trudged upstairs. I walked up to my office door and I took out my car keys and I started doing like that trying to open my office door with my car key fob. I needed to get away. And I had known I needed to get away for some time. I was feeling, um, feeling kind of stuck. I knew that I had this sense that God was telling me that he wanted me to make a change, to go somewhere else, but he wouldn't tell me where, he wouldn't tell me when, and I just felt stuck. Rebecca had a mentor at the time, and uh, she was sharing this with her, and she said, you know, I have a scripture for you. She goes, I think you should be reading Habakkuk. And we said, Habakkuk? And so she gave us Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4, and she gave it to us from the New English translation. And Habakkuk is on this watchtower, and he's looking for a vision from God. And in the version she gave us, it said, when it comes... It'll come with breathless haste, and there'll be no time to linger. We thought, what a curious phrase, breathless haste and no time to linger. It felt really strange for someone who sort of felt like I was in the middle of lingering. And so we began to pray about that and read that scripture over and over and just thought, okay, what could this mean? What could a random verse from an obscure prophet from the 7th century B.C. had to do with a guy trying to open his office with his car keys. You know, that's one of the interesting things about Scripture. It has meaning based on what was trying to be said to its original audience. And when all of us teach, we try hard to learn what was the original meaning and then think about what's the application of that meaning for us. How does it apply to our life? And on the other hand, Scripture also can be very personable, and God can speak to us in very personal ways. At a destined hour, it will come with breathless haste. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever felt stuck? Have you ever felt like you were waiting on God, waiting on God to change your relationship or change your career, or is it in the case of Habakkuk to change the whole course of your nation? Well, I think a lot of us have probably had that experience. Probably a lot of us have it now. I don't think I would be going out on a limb to say we're living in a very tumultuous and frustrating era. It seems like the whole country is angry. It feels like the culture is shifting. 
We can't even agree on what's true anymore. It seems that truth is just some information that's cobbled together to support whatever our worldview is. People used to be able to disagree with civility, but now it seems like the slightest disagreement and they hate one another. We're obsessed, obsessed with what's being said on social media. We're constantly angry or offended. We have a steady stream of men in the news, even some that we respected being exposed for inappropriate behavior and even illegal behavior. We have people that we admired being revealed to be hypocrites and much worse. Everyone is divided up into their tribes and wants nothing to do with the other. And it's not even football season yet. It's 82 days away, not that I'm counting. So all of these factors and many more make us fearful. Fearful of people that are different, fearful that we might be losing our place in line, fearful of anything that's changing. Last week, Beth Moore wrote that 100 years from now, if Jesus tarries, imagine Satan reminiscing over this era. Oh yeah, those were the days all right. All I had to do was get them swept up in fear and it did the rest. Led the whole nation by it. And the funniest part, Christians were the biggest fraidy cats of all. We've not just caught the world's fears, we are leading out in them. We may call ourselves Christians, but we cannot call ourselves Jesus followers and be led by our fear. Let's just be honest. For a lot of us, fear is the motivating factor in our life. And based on my observation, the more we have, the more we fear. I think maybe it's because we think we have so much more to lose. Or maybe it's because we spend most of our life under the illusion that we're in control. Whatever the reason, a large part of our life revolves around managing our fear. I want to show you a little scale here and ask, where would you rate yourself on this scale? Are your decisions motivated more by fear or faith? When you think about your life, are you more expectant or more fearful? Well, Habakkuk lived in turbulent times as well. I expect, suspect that when he was living, people would have been really high on the fear scale. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah that Rich told us about last, last week. Uh, he lived around 600 B.C. during the very unjust regime of King Jehoiakim. Judah was an unjust nation with an unjust leader, and the prophets were warning them that God was going to judge them. In fact, the Babylonian armies had them in their crosshairs. People that were trying to follow God in that culture felt squeezed between the unjust nature of their society and a future in exile. This is how Habakkuk described his situation. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? 
or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. He sounds like me watching cable news every night. Habakkuk must have looked and sounded like a very frustrated man. The great Renaissance artist Donatello created a sculpture of Habakkuk in 1425, and he called it Lozacone, which literally, literally means pumpkin, but figuratively means bald head. I think he's quite a good-looking guy, don't you? So this good-looking guy, Habakkuk, lived in a time that saw great swings in fortune. Judah had been prosperous, a wealthy nation, but as the years went by, they just went from bad to worse, became more decadent. Historians describe Jehoiakim as a tyrant who committed all kinds of unjust acts. He was living in incestuous relationships with women and his family. He routinely murdered people and then took their land and their wives. So here stands Habakkuk between an unjust king speaking to an unjust nation while the Babylonian army gathers at his border. Now, if there's one thing that we know that God doesn't like, it's injustice. Anytime we read about his people worshiping false idols or not caring for the vulnerable, God withdraws his hand of protection. Now, justice is a popular term in our society, but we usually define it in different ways depending on our perspective. But for this morning's conversation, I want us to think about justice as it would be defined by God. I like this definition uh, that Mark Laberton gives us. The reordering of all forms of power in light of the character of God. Not in light of our party affiliation or our race or our love for our nation, but as followers of Jesus, we should define justice based on the calm, quiet voice of our Lord. Our desire for justice for the world to be correctly ordered can't depend on our craziest friend on Facebook. You see, justice is not a man-made concept. It's, it's something that's inside of us, our desire for things to be right, because it's a reflection of God's character and the fact that we are created in his image. God's justice always protects human life and cares for the weak and the, and the vulnerable. It's always about more than just law and order. It's a restorative justice. So Habakkuk is frustrated because he sees that Judah definitely is not reflecting God's character. In his frustration, he's having this dialogue with God. So how did Habakkuk hang on in an era of such 
great frustration. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. I will look to say what he will say to me. When life is hard and we're fearful, where are we looking? Because we're all searching for something, for somebody, for some meaning for our life. And the heartbreaking part is so many of us are searching in the wrong places. You can see that in a simple Google search. I can't find a career. I'm alone. I can't find a friend. Over and over, I'm lost. All ages searching, searching for something or somebody, searching for answers. We have a society that has so many people living in quiet desperation. Just this week, the death of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain reminded us of the desperation that lurks underneath the surface for so many people. Some of us are searching and hoping to hear from God, but in all honesty, we're not even sure if he's there. We're drawn to parts of what we know about Jesus, but we really don't have a safe place to share our doubts. That's why we're starting Alpha this fall, because we want to provide a safe place to explore your doubts and what God might have to say. Last September, I was in London at Holy Trinity Brompton where Alpha began, and on the first night, uh, we had a speaker, and he was telling about his journey from being a committed atheist to being a committed Christian. And he said initially his opinion of Jesus was similar to his opinion of Elvis. He really liked the music, but he was kind of creeped out by some of the fans. <laughs> now, if you laugh at that, 
Alpha might be for you. On the other hand, if you're offended by it, it's most certainly not for you. If you're looking for a safe place to explore Jesus in a non-judgmental environment, then it might be a good step. Because if we're going to move from a life of fear to a life of expectation, we need to be looking in the right place. I will stand at my watch and I will look to see what he will say. And then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. When God replied to Habakkuk, he told him to write it down because the prophet needed some proof that he had actually heard from God and hadn't just made it all up after the fact. And he also wanted him to write it down because he needed to be ready to move fast. He needs to be ready so that a herald may run with it. Now I'm just going to get practical here for a couple of minutes. If you're watching for God to act, if you're listening for God and you're feeling stuck, you need to be writing it down. When I was going through that time nine years ago and waking up at 4 a.m. and not being able to go back to sleep, I was writing down my thoughts in this journal. And last week as I was thinking about this message, I went back and reread my thoughts and circumstances and the scripture and how it was all coming together. And because I wrote it down, I could see how God was moving in my life and how he was closing some doors and then finally how he was opening the right one. On May the 14th, I had come to a crazy conclusion. As I said, I felt stuck and I finally came to the conclusion that God wasn't gonna tell me where to go until I left where I was at. It was sort of like a Abraham kind of moment that I needed to leave the place that I was currently serving before he was gonna tell me where to go. Now this was 2009 and the economy was imploding as some of you will well remember. I was at one of the most influential churches in America. I had a mortgage, I had two children, and I felt like God was telling me that I needed to walk away from it. Clearly God or clearly crazy, but it was all in here. And Rebecca was having the same feeling and we talked about it and we prayed about it for weeks and we made the decision that I should wait until we return from a trip we were leading to Africa in July and then I should resign. And so that was our plan, to just walk away. And we returned from Africa and the next day I went into my office, that same office that I had tried to open the door of the winter before. And as soon as I walked in and sat down, I got a telephone call from a person that I did not know named Marnie Crumpler. Marnie, thanks for making that call. And she wanted me to come to Atlanta and meet with her and with Vic Pence. And they really needed me to come down in the next two weeks and talk, and I did. And they wanted our family to come back in a few weeks, and I did. And they offered me a position before we ever even attended a service. And the day we accepted the role here, school started in Atlanta. 
And that began a mad dash of moving our kids to Atlanta and putting our house on the market and on and on and on. And from the outside, it just seemed totally abrupt, rushed, ridiculous. But for us, it was crystal clear because it was all in here. And that curious scripture from a year ago, when it comes, it will come with breathless haste and there'll be no time to linger, suddenly made perfect sense. You know, God is still speaking to us all. It didn't stop in the 7th century BC. I just think often we're not listening, we're not watching, and we're not writing it down. So my summer challenge to you is to get one of these if you're struggling, if you're waiting, if you feel stuck. And when you feel like God is speaking, just write it down, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what your prayers are saying, what scripture is telling you. Because he has something to say to each one of us, whether we've been following him for 40 years or we're not even sure he's out there. He has something to say to us and he has something to say through us because he is still talking. And even though he may seem slow, when he speaks, you may need to run. When you hear his voice, the voice that we can trust. See, the enemy is puffed up and his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. In a crazy world filled with all kinds of puffed up people, we can trust in his faithfulness. We can have faith because of who he is. The Apostle Paul quotes this verse from Habakkuk in the book of Romans where he writes, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now there's a good bit of discussion among people who like studying ancient scriptures in ancient languages about whether Paul means the righteous will live by God's faithfulness or by being faithful. Now I'm assuming that you are not among the people who would like to spend the next hour talking about ancient languages. And so because of that, what I'm going to say is if you ask me that either or question, I would just reply, yes. Because practically speaking, I don't think it's an either-or question. I think it's both and. Because Paul knew what Habakkuk knew centuries before and what we should know this morning, that our faith is a result of his faithfulness. It's all woven together. And as Paul wrote, it is the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel, the good news that Jesus is Lord of the world. He is the one who has our allegiance, not the puffed up Jehoiakim of Habakkuk's day or Nero of Paul's day. 
No, in the gospel, we see the justice of God. And the result of that is that we can have our relationship with him restored. We can have our sins forgiven. And we can join him in the restoration of all things. I think when God gave Paul that message, just as he gave Habakkuk, there was no time to linger. And I don't think there's time for us to linger either. What vision is God putting on your heart? What are you standing on the watchtower waiting to hear? Maybe it's the direction of your career. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your relationship. Maybe it's the state of our society. Maybe like Paul writing that letter to the church in Rome, it seems like something mundane. But really, God is doing something big in your life that you just can't quite yet see because it's over the horizon. I recently reread another letter, Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail. In 1963, he wrote that there was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of the society. God is still calling us to be a thermostat. In a culture of fear, we should be known for our faith. In a culture of the fake, we should be known for what is true. In a culture of anger, we should be known for love. In a culture of love of self, we should be known for love of our neighbor. In a culture where it feels like everything is coming apart, we should be known for bringing everyone together. Watch for it. Wait for it. Be ready for it. Because when it comes, it will come with breathless haste, and there'll be no time to linger. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do indeed still speak into our lives, that you still hear us, and that we can trust in your faithfulness, that we can build our lives around the hope that we have in your vision. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that we will listen to your voice. In the moments of our quiet desperation, that we will listen we will hear you, and we will act. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.